0: Authentic representation in the entertainment industry of people with disabilities is something that the Ruderman Family Foundation has been involved with for some time now. While there have been some improvements lately, such as at the Sundance Film Festival making Crip Camp, a movie about summer camp for people with disabilities in the 1970s, and the disability rights movement, a major piece of their festival this year, and Zach Godeskin presenting an award at the Oscars in February... Hollywood is still lagging behind when it comes to the inclusion of people with disabilities.
1: All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social
0: justice with Jay Ruderman. I'm Jay Ruderman, host of All Inclusive. And we have with us today two people who have always made inclusion for people with disabilities an important aspect in their movies acclaimed filmmakers and Morton E. Ruderman Award in Inclusion honorees, Peter and Bobby Farrelly. I'm also excited to announce that we're running a giveaway right now to spread some joy during this season. From December 14th to January 15th, we're giving away one iPad per week for five weeks. That's five iPads. To enter, you simply go to my Twitter. Instagram or Facebook, at Jay Ruderman, follow me and comment on the weekly contest post with the hashtag, all-inclusive iPad contest, to enter to win. We'll draw a random winner each Friday, so enter now. You must be 18 or over and in the United States to participate. Okay, so welcome, uh, Peter and Bobby. And um, you guys grew up in Rhode Island and became acclaimed filmmakers tell me how how it happened how you guys started out and and how you got into the business
2: the general way we tell the story is we had the uh, uh, ability to fail a lot early on in life and so when we decided you know in our 20s to go out to LA and start writing nobody tried to stop us uh, you know normally like I, I remember I talked to a buddy of mine uh, who went to Yale he was like you know one of the top guys in our school class in high school and he said once he went you know went to Yale he was on a path he had to go you know he's either going to business school or law school or a certain track it's hard to hop off that track and then say hey I want to you know take a wild risk and go make movies we we weren't on any tracks so when we did it when we said hey mom dad we're gonna go to you know start writing movies see what happens they were like awesome good for you you know there was there was nothing else going on so that was kind of our advantage honestly like I, I always I always tell kids when I speak at high schools and colleges that you know success can I mean failure can be your friend a lot you know it, it pivots you it changes your direction in ways that may ultimately turn out well for you
1: but also as, as you know when we were in high school and college Pete I remember that you know you you were studying accounting or yeah. you know and I was studying geology and cause like we had no idea that 10 years later we'd be filmmakers we we literally didn't it never even crossed our minds yeah. so it was you know that's what he's talking about is that like we didn't the, the path that we were going down just didn't work out for us so we tried something new and it, and it wasn't until our mid to late 20s uh, that uh, that all of this started to uh, to happen for us. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, kind of flailing for a little bit, and it was a little. Uh, I remember that time of life like didn't know what was going on with ourselves, really, you know. Yeah. But uh, but we were having fun, and right. uh, you know, it brought us to LA, and we, uh, we what we were doing was was kind of exciting when we started writing screenplays. Yeah, even, and,
2: it took us nine years to get a movie made, but in that nine years, those nine years, we were selling scripts and. Meeting people and getting better as writers, and it was fun. We had a great time. It wasn't a hard time. People say, "Boy, this must have been tough years." No, they were the best years. It was. It was great.
1: Yeah, we were waiting tables and driving limos and all that too. You know, certainly a little bit, but uh, it was. Uh, it was all a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. it was. I, I remember if I could say one thing that I remember the first time it ever occurred to me that, hey, maybe we could do that. And it's. I. I think it's when um, airplane came out, and I think that's nineteen eighty or seventy nine eighty something like that and i remember thinking i saw the guys the zucker brothers and jim abrams on uh, letterman or one of those shows and they just seemed like normal guys like i ha- always had an image of what a writer would be like is sort of different than me and i thought well those are guys like us and we tell jokes and w- what if we right. right. where band? were they from wisconsin or we're from wisconsin with yeah. milwaukee or yeah. something like that And yeah. i remember that was the seed where I, I started thinking it's doable and then a few years later when got the
0: courage went for it so, were you involved in comedy before you started writing? No, not remotely. And just how did you get into writing? Were you always good writers? I mean, it it takes a lot of discipline to to write something and bring it to fruition.
1: I got to hand it to Pete here in that uh, when we were doing that thing where we were flailing at our jobs, he uh, he, he he did just say, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try something new in my life," and he. Quit his job and 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 uh, dedicated himself to writing a book, and uh, you know that was that's what got the writing off and running. And you know our, our parents and everyone was like, "What, right? You know, I, you're not a writer, are you?" But well, I want to be, and uh, so you know that was that was it. So you sat down and wrote. And, you yeah. Know, that, no, that we going. weren't
2: good writers. We got better as we went along. But like in in high school or or any school, grammar school. I never wrote a fictional paper. Nobody ever said, hey, make up a story, which I could have done well, I think. It was always, you know, you had to do an essay or something that, you know, book report or that and that kind of writing to this day, I'm not good at. Uh, So uh, there was no indication that we could write, no.
0: So what was the first thing that brought you out to the West Coast?
2: I was in grad school in New York and my uh, buddy and I, uh, Bennett Yellen, we wrote a screenplay. Uh, we decided, I was working on a book, he was working on a book of short stories, and we realized you can't make a living doing this. Like at that time, if you sold a book, you'd get five or $10,000. And it takes two, three years to write a book. So it wasn't a living. Uh, and, but we knew that screenplays sold for more, so we kicked off a screenplay. It was called Dust to Dust, and it was about two dumb guys who work at a down and out funeral parlor. Like they had layaway sales and don't get buried with high prices, you know. And basically, it was dumb, and it was you know Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. It was those two characters, and we wrote this thing about these guys working at a down and out funeral parlor who pick up a load of, it's supposed to be a body, but it's loaded with coke, and and they don't go where they're supposed to go because they're they're you know idiots, and they go all over town. They got bad guys chasing them, and uh, it had some laughs in it. And the Zucker brothers and um, Eddie Murphy Productions simultaneously wanted wanted the script, so they. Um, the Zucker's flew us out, and when we landed, we had two jobs. We had a job. Uh,
1: Can you remind me how they got the script? You know, the Zucker brothers. Yeah, the Zucker brothers. Murphy?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was like just pure luck. The Zucker brothers, uh, Jim Abrams. I mean, uh, Jerry Zucker was in a Hebrew dance class with. Uh, Bennett Yellen's uh, sister. They were Orthodox Jewish, the Yellens. And she, they had a Hebrew dance class. And he had de- Bennett had told me, he said, hey, my sister is actually in this dance class with David Zucker. So if we write this script, we, have, we can get it to him. That was part of the inspiration. And sure enough, we finished it. We gave it to her. And she... Gave it to him and he took it and he read it. It was miraculous. Simultaneously, I had a date with this girl in New York one night, only time I ever went out with her. And I told her i just finished the screenplay. She said, oh, give it to me, because her parents had just moved to Alpine, New Jersey, and Eddie Murphy lived right next door to her family. And they, she said, uh, you know, this will give me an excuse to go over and meet Eddie. I want to go say hi. I'll give him your script. Said, excellent. So I gave it to her. Next day, she called me. She said, I gave it to him. He took it. And I said, are you kidding? She said, nope. I saw him up front, ran over and gave it to him. But I figured, you know, he's going to the house, tossing it in the trash. The same week that the Zucker brothers called us and said, hey, we, we like this. Let's, let's come on out. Uh, I was watching Eddie Murphy. I was watching Letterman, and Eddie Murphy was on it. And uh, Letterman says, "What's this story about? Your neighbor gave you some kind of script or something? What's this?" And uh, he says, "Yeah, my neighbor gave me a script, and it's really good. And we want to do it. And and he said the name of it, which is you know, Dust to Dust." And the next day, I I called Eddie Murphy Productions in L.A. By the way, I hadn't even written my phone number on the script, and her family was on vacation, so they didn't know how to get in touch with her. I called them, and they said, yeah, we've been try- trying to reach you. So it was kind of a mini miracle. We got two deals. That's a, that's a major miracle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, So it's a lot of hard work, but a little bit of luck also. Yes. So how did you guys, as brothers, begin to work together?
2: Well, even from the beginning, when I was writing with Bennett, Bobby was in, he was in another business, but I'd give him the script and he'd go through it and he'd punch it up and he'd say, "Cut this, I love this, do that." He was basically doing a pass on the script for us and un, with no credit. And then finally, after a couple of uh, once we got out to LA, I called him and I could see he wasn't like you know, burning it up back home. So I said, "Why don't you come out and write with us?" So then it became a three-way team: me, Bobby, and Bennett.
0: So tell me about growing up with your parents and and what influence that had on your life. You do a lot of comedy, but your values come through in your work. So tell me a little bit about growing up and the influence that they had on you.
1: My father was a, uh, you know, we we grew up in a, what we'd call a small town, rural town uh, in, in Rhode Island, uh, outside of Providence. And my father was a doctor in town. So he was, you know, he was well-respected and he had, a, you know, a lot of responsibility. And so... He certainly, uh, you know, made us behave ourselves just so that we didn't, we didn't embarrass him. But at the same time, he and my mom had a, you know, a, a wicked sense of humor, and so at home we'd always, uh, we'd always laugh a lot and sit around the dinner table and tell stories about what happened that day, and and it was kind of like a little contest to see who could, who could make each other laugh the most. You know, it was sort of a daily, daily thing, and I don't know. So we just, I think that's where our storytelling came from is just being at home and we were allowed to laugh, but you had to laugh within certain rules because my, my father was very strict and, you know, he wasn't ir- irreverent at all. He was but he was funny, but you had to behave.
0: There were boundaries.
2: Yeah, but also he was a, you know, even though my father growing up, by the way, when we were growing up, he was always a Republican, uh, he was extremely liberal in other ways. Like we every summer we always had inner city kids staying with us for the summer. And uh, you know he was involved in the Fresh Air program, and he you know he he believed a lot in giving back. Not that all Republicans don't. It's just that he was uh, he was more liberal than most Republicans, at least today, are in a lot of ways, in the, the in the current climate, I'll say. And um, uh, so uh, there was a lot of diversity, uh, you know, in, around the house and in uh, and in our lives, and 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 also you know in in our neighborhood too. We happen to have. And we've talked about this a lot of friends with with uh, disabilities just coincidentally, and uh w- so we were around it a lot.
1: You know, it was a different day and age, as as you know, Jay. When, you know, the, 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 your parents would say on on a Saturday morning, go on out and be home by dinner time. You know, and so you'd go out and you could go miles away from home. And uh, I I, th- I don't think as many people do that nowadays. You are out a lot, and we so. You would see all the kids in the neighborhood, and some of them were what we would call mentally retarded at the time, and we'd hang out with them. They'd just be part of the gang. If you were playing touch football, they'd be in it. You know, they they'd play with you. And uh, I don't know. I just I just uh, I remember growing up with those kids. And, and when we started writing our stories, we included them in <clears throat> those people in the in the stories. And I, th- I think it was a big part of uh, of our writing. <laughs> Listening to All Inclusive with Jay Ruderman, you can learn more, view the show notes and transcripts at
0: rudermanfoundation.org/slash/allinclusive. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. So you were writing based on on your background, like how you grew up. There was no like ideological agenda, like saying you know, listen, I, I really want to uh, push this element of. Including people with disabilities in in our in our writing in our movies just sort of came naturally. Definitely
2: not early on. I mean, we didn't think like that. And it was when it was brought to our attention that we hadn't been using enough people with disabilities early on in our careers. Um, we realized that was an oversight, and then we started. Yes, then we were aware of just. And, and not in a huge way, it just in a way where it just be you know fair, you know, twenty percent of the population has disabilities and if you don't have a, something like that in your movie, it's not a real world for one thing, and we were trying to write reality you know we wanted people to recognize the the world they were in so it just seemed natural to us um, uh, but uh and and then we were aware of it, but not that aware we weren't you know. Making a huge statement, I will say that. No, we were first no, trying to entertain,
0: right? But you were receptive to those conversations. You weren't just blowing them off because I think a lot of people would right. blow them off and say, "Okay, yeah, you're telling me there's not enough representation, but okay, not my issue. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing something else."
2: No, and it was it didn't take much. Like you know, it was one friend of ours who was quadriplegic, who I was with when he broke his neck. Danny Murphy, who said after Dumb and Dumber, "Hey, what's going on?" You know, I didn't see a lot of disability. In there and I was like oh, god you're right and that you know that changed it right then we just uh you know we and and also because we were very comfortable we had two friends who broke their necks in high school and Danny Murphy and Peter Bohack and so we had wheelchairs all around us everybody was in vans you know going to parties and stuff like that it seemed of course you'd have to do that we just hadn't done it the first time we weren't thinking about
0: it so Danny ended up being in a lot of your movies yeah he wasn't a, a trained actor. I mean, where did the decision come from to say, okay, you know, I think you should be in our movies?
1: Well, I think it was that day when when he he said, hey, how come there's no one with disabilities in your movie? Then we said, all right, fine, you're in the next one, and well, so we, we kind of called him out. It. We said, start acting, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and he did. He took, he, he, he took a he lot took, of classes. He took uh, acting classes and. You know, he he did what he could do to, to take it very seriously. He actually he did take it very seriously, and he got he improved a lot too. Yeah, uh, he he ended up doing some stage acting, and uh, you know he became an actor. He became a professional actor, and uh, but it was uh, you know he it was kind of like putting him on the spot. Uh, because he was putting us on the spot. And so it, it, it worked out well. But also, we learned a lot from him because he moved to L.A.
2: to act after... He really got the bug and wanted to do it. He moved to L.A. And then we started realizing how difficult it was because he was our friend. He, he would go... First of all, it was almost impossible uh, rear when someone uh, in a wheelchair would even get an audition. You know, And uh, and if he did... Most of the time he would or not most of the time but a lot of the time he would get to the audition and they'd have to come out and Audition him out on the sidewalk because he couldn't get in the building It's like they literally didn't have the accessibility to get him in the in the building and up the stairs So they'd come out and he'd be doing he'd be you know auditioning in you know right on the sidewalk, people walking back and forth It was awful and uh, so that that it was that opened our eyes
0: and he's not the only person, I mean, you've included many different actors with disabilities yeah. in, throughout your career in, in your films. Um, at what point did you guys say, okay, well, you know, I'm re- we're really um, leading in this business in terms of having more authenticity of, of disability in our film?
1: We never thought that. We uh, never... Uh, today was the first day. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, from you, yeah. Uh, no, honestly, you guys, guys are recognizing it, I, I guess, uh we never did. We never said, hey, this is what we're doing and we're good at it. And, and we don't deserve it you know, because, honestly, we haven't
2: done much. We put some people with disabilities in the movies, but that is like I can tell you, unfortunately, like 30 stories of people with disabilities who we tried to help, like get a pro- project off the ground or get this going or get that and didn't succeed. Uh, you know, putting people in movies is the easy part of what we're trying to do. And it's been an uphill climb. it's been an uphill uh, climb for all of these things. So we we don't see ourselves that we, we we're just trying to make them represented fairly, and and that's it.
1: Yeah, you know this business, Jay. Anyway, I don't care if you're completely able-bodied uh, or not. It's very difficult. You it's very difficult to find work. It's very difficult to get work, and and to keep work. You know, keep working. And uh, so these guys from the disability community, they don't even get a chance to audition to do that, but. But even if they do, it doesn't mean they're going to they're going to get a role or, or find a good part. It's it's just there's so many people trying for so few parts that it's it's just extremely difficult. I think one of the things that we did do though was sort of open up the possibility that that we'd consider, you know, the people from the disabled community. Yeah, that's and, and if they're if they're good, we'll we'll cast them. But they're not all good, you know. They're not all they're not all great actors. Uh, and it's just difficult, but at least they, you know, they have the opportunity.
2: Yeah, like I'm proud of the fact that our uh, our uh, casting agent Rick Montgomery, he doesn't. If you say, you know, the, the girlfriend walks in the room and they sits down, and they have a cup of coffee, or, or you know, he's not thinking one certain thing. He's thinking, okay, let's get this. Could be a, a, this could be a woman with hearing, you know, a deaf woman. It could be a blind woman. It could be a this woman. It could be that woman. Black, white. You know, he's very good because we trained him of, at, like, not, you know, pigeonholing a uh, thing. Because if you don't say, just because you don't say the person is uh, hard of hearing doesn't mean they can't be. You know, you you could be anything. And the, the casting agents have to start opening doors up because, um, like, you know, a wheelchair doesn't really... There's not many roles that you can't be in a wheelchair for. You know, there's a few, but there's most of them in a movie or a TV show. It, I mean, it, it could be something in a wheelchair, and, but it doesn't have to be written as such. So he, have, he has to read those people, and we'll pick the best one, and hopefully they're
0: getting their chance, people with disabilities. So do you think that the industry—I mean, it seems like the industry is very self-aware of, of the influence they have on society— I mean, just in the past, you know, a few years, you've seen minority groups really shoot ahead in terms of representation, uh, African American community, Asian community, uh, Hispanic, LBGTQ. And, and I think, in, in my point of view, I think it's had an impact on our society. So do you think that the entertainment industry is, is aware of the power they have to influence public attitude?
2: positively but their first goal is to make money they they are aware they can make changes and they and honestly it was only when those changes that you're talking about like hiring more women diversity you know color this that when that started becoming demanded of them and if they didn't have it people wouldn't go to the movies and so they were like okay yeah let's let's do this like you know black panther that worked out let's do another one you know that kind of thing and uh they they are aware of this but they're beh-
1: they're still behind on this one. They have not done anything. These are the forgotten ones. Absolutely. This is the the one group that's that, that's completely forgotten that's totally underrepresented.
0: Right. And we know, I mean, that like as you mentioned before, 20% of the population has a disability. Yeah. We know that that in the United States and around the world they they're the poorest and most segregated part of our population. And yet you see a lot of disability on, on film. You know, the, the, in the last three decades, half of the men that have won uh, the best Oscar, best uh, actor Oscar, have won for playing a disability. And they themselves were not. Uh, they were able-bodied. So where is that coming from? It's like the, the, the stories are there. The stories are, are selling. They're, 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 they're getting acclaim. But people with disabilities are not getting cast for those roles.
2: Well, that's about to end. Jenny Gold wrote a great um, op-ed piece. I think it was in uh, the, the uh, in Variety, it might have been Hollywood Reporter, about that very thing. And, and she termed it crip face, like somebody wearing blackface. It's not acceptable anymore, and that this won't be acceptable either. The idea of using people without disabilities in disabled roles, especially since there's so many people out there who could do these roles perfectly fine. But it, nobody's pushed back yet. Now it's starting to get pushed back, and they're, they're going to be embarrassed, and they're going to stop doing it. You know, I had a horrible thing happen about a year ago. I was in Vancouver, and I we had a role for a college aged a guy in a wheelchair. And I called the, the biggest casting agent in uh, Vancouver, and I said, hey, I, I want to see a bunch of guys, you know, college-age and wheelchairs, actors. And she said, well, we, we don't have any. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, we don't have any up there. I said, Canada? Canada. She goes, we have no actors that you're describing, college-age men in wheelchairs. I was like, well, they're all over town. You know, they're everywhere, and they want to act, you know, and they had no, they were behind us. So I hooked them up with media access people down here uh, who represent, uh, you know, and, and uh, people with uh, disabilities, and I got her on the phone. She felt horrible, by the way. She was embarrassed, and the, the casting agent. And she said, I, I, I'm sorry, what, what do we do? And I said, you got to, you got to wake up, you got to change. And we had, uh, she called Alan Rucker, who's a gem. We had a conference call, and basically she got the ball rolling up there because this had happened, believe it or not, like a, a couple weeks earlier when I said we need a little person for a role. And she says, well, we, only, we have two. I said, no, 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 I, I want to read a bunch of little people. And she said, well, we only have two. And so we actually had to... Uh, fly somebody in from the states a little person and uh nick novicki uh, who's unbelievable he's one of the best actors on the planet by the way and uh, he killed it but uh it's this change is happening it's happening fast and it only happens when you uh you shame them a little and she she was embarrassed and she realized that you know this is an overlooked population
0: so do you think that you know, I don't know, 10, 20 years down the road, whatever, we're going to look back and see inauthentic portrayal of disability the same way we would look at inauthentic portrayal of other minorities, right, as we do now. Certainly hope so. I, I certainly hope that we look back and say that this, you know, that
1: it's not inauthentic anymore. Uh, because, you know, like we're pointing out, all these great roles, you know, it'd be, it'd be great if, People with real disabilities were playing people that had disabilities in the in the story, and right now, you know, that's not really the case. So, uh, you know, I'm we're hoping we're hoping to go that direction. I think it's changing quickly, and also there's you know
2: the movie that you're familiar with, uh, Crip Camp, which is coming out this month. That movie is a game changer. I think if people see it, and I highly recommend you see it, not because of it's educational, though it is extremely educational. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen. in last five years. I laughed out loud 15 or 20 times and bawled my eyes out. It's It's a true story of this camp in the in 1970s, in upstate New York, for people with uh, kids with disabilities and adults with disabilities who had suddenly, because the guy who ran it was a lunatic, it gave them ultimate freedom. And it's all the, the beautiful things that happened at that camp and the friendships that were made, and the, how those people came on to be uh, the, the leaders of the disability movement in the uh, late 70s and 80s, and, it, and to this day. I'm hoping that movie will change people's thinking in a huge way.
0: The, the one thing that I, I've known Judy Heumann for a long time, and she's one of the leaders in the history of our country on the disability rights movement. And there's so many things, you know, she's one of the people that were that was at the camp and, and became a leader uh, in the movement. And there were so many things I didn't know about her. I mean, there there was a full-fledged disability rights movement in this country in in the 70s and 80s. And I think... So many people are, are, are not aware of it, yet it, it's a movement that existed. And I think that, that great thing about Crip Camp, and I hope a lot of people see it, is they have the actual footage, not only of these ki- kids, young kids who are teenagers or younger at camp, but then as they move through life into their 20s and 30s and become major activists.
2: This is going to be a historical document, I predict, forever, because of the footage, it's unbelievable. The footage. It was also uh, uh, Jim uh, LeBrec, uh directed it, and he's in it, and he's.
1: It, it's just one of the most. Um, uh, the Obamas pr- uh, helped produce it. That's correct? right. So yeah, I mean, it's gonna. It's gonna, People it's are the, gonna want to check it out. It when went it comes right out on to Netflix. my top three documentaries of all time. Wow.
2: Yeah, it's up there. American movie. If you haven't seen it, see it. And I also loved um, uh, Icarus a couple of years ago, which is phenomenal. But. This one's right there, right at the top.
1: All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman.